0: The following audio is from the Chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the Chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Promises are important, and promises get broken all the time. Every day, promises are broken. Uh, Every day, there are things in our world that they just tweak the truth or they exaggerate something just a little bit. And even the way that we sell things, it's not that it's necessarily untrue, it's just trying to trick us. Like, why is gas always 229.9? Why can't they just tell me it's 230? Why, why, is, it, why is it that when my uh, children are getting their report cards and I ask them before I open it, I say, how did you do? before I open this, and this is a game that I should stop playing because it's a game that leads to sadness. Um, They'll say, I did great, Daddy. And I'll say, tell me what you think you got. Tell me if you think there's any notes that I should be aware of before I open this. And they say, no, no, my teachers love me. And they do love them for the most part, but the grades don't always love them back. We have promises that are broken that are deep-seated promises, promises between a husband and a wife, the unspoken, really unwritten promise that when a child is born, there's a, there's a promise that we make by, by birthing that child that we will take care of the kid, and those promises get broken, which is why children get hurt, which is why things like adoption and foster care exist. Uh, relationships break because promises break, which is why divorce exists. And I want to say that at times it may seem like God does not keep his promises if you've never thought that you just haven't probably been honest enough with yourself and the psalmist today is going to deal with this very topic the psalmist today in psalm 89 where we're going to park for most of this day the psalmist says god i know who you are i know what you've said but what life is doing does not make sense you've promised a b c but life is giving me D's and f's you've promised that life is this way and that your love is this way but why is it that everything is crumbling around me this is the entire text of psalm 89 and it gives us a a system it gives us a lens it gives us a set of binoculars to look at our suffering to to get through our suffering and how to navigate when it feels like god is not holding up his end of the bargain so i want to read some promises uh and we're just going to go through i'm going to pray we're going to go through some promises look at some of the passages in psalm 89 so let's just go before god Lord, um, you are true, though every person is a liar. You are loving, even when we don't feel it. God, your scale is so massive that we can't fathom it. So I pray that today, every person here would be able to walk out of this building with a greater perspective from 30,000 feet up. That we wouldn't be stuck in the middle of the forest, unable to see where we are going, but we would have a glimpse of your eternal sight and where you are guiding and how you are guiding our lives for good. God, be present here. Lord, make your spirit known powerfully this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Here are some of the promises in the Bible. God promised to bless Abraham and through his descendants, the whole world. That's in Genesis 12. God promises Israel he's going to be their God and he's going to make them his people. And it's in Leviticus 26. God promises that if we search for him, we will find him. Deuteronomy 4. It's not like that Where's Waldo book. Do you guys remember Where's Waldo? Good golly. In the end of that book, when you were finding Waldo, you felt like as an 11-year-old, you were just crushing at life. In the last page of that middle book, it was all Waldo's. And you had to find the guy without the hat. Now, I'm buying those for my kids for Christmas because I love them so much. Um, but but you don't. If you search for God, you'll find Him. He's not hiding. He's not camouflaging Himself. He's He's findable. God promised protection for His children in Psalm 121. God promises that His love will never fail. First Chronicles 16. Let's go into the New Testament for some of the good promises. God promises salvation to those who believe in His Son. That's in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. God promises, this is a tough one. This is the one that we quote to people when they're going through hard times. God promised that all things work out for good for his children, for those whom he loves. That's a tough one. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, our, our little pocket of community uh, was is experiencing a loss right now. The owner um, of, of Wayback Burgers, um, Chris, passed away last night. He was hosting a carnival over at the church on uh, Lithia Pinecrest, and, and they was caught in a tragic car accident. And in this verse that God promises, all things will work together for good for those who believe and are called according to his purpose. We are going to be inclined to quote this verse to people in the midst of pain. It is a great verse. It is a true verse. It is a wonderful verse. It is a verse that I cling to. It is one of the worst verses to say to somebody right when pain strikes. They, they, most people know this verse. It, it's something that we can show people as their pain begins to unfold. Because what pain does is it takes your heart and it crumples it up. Right now, there's a, a promise that, that people are feeling has been breached, that there was a life and a father of three kids. And now, why would that person be taken? Or, or whether it's your life, you get into marriage and it doesn't work out. What, what pain does is it takes trust and it crumples it into a ball. And you can't read what's supposed to be there anymore. And you have to take time. God's promises to begin to unfold it. And then you can sit in these truths of Romans 8.28. That one is a tough one. That, that all things work together for good. I believe it. I hope you believe it. God promises comfort in trial. 2 Corinthians to 4 God promises new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17. I mean, the promises go on and on and on. Now, in Psalm 89, Ethan, the Ezraites, has some issues that he wants to take up with God. The first four verses are great. He says this, "...I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever." And build your throne for all generations. Selah. Selah means stop and think about it. So here's what the psalmist starts to do. You guys know that old counseling tactic where you say a nice thing, then you give them the the bad stuff, and then you end it with a nice thing? Have you guys heard this before? If you haven't heard this before, you're doing relationships wrong, probably. Um, So what you do is, when you're going to tell somebody, um, let me back all the way up. So you're having a day, you're interacting with somebody, And all of a sudden, you're like, I want to say something mean to somebody. And you know, like, this is the person, this is my target, aim, fire. If you want to do it well, they say, now this is total manipulation, so don't use this uh, and abuse it, please. But what you do is you come up with something nice to say first. And if you're a Christian, you usually say something like, hey, I just, uh, I love you so much, you're my brother or sister, I just got to tell you the truth in love. And then when a Christian says that, you brace for impact, because hurricane mouth is coming. And then they go, Bruh! and then if they're doing it right, they say, but I love you in the end. So it's like an Oreo sandwich, or in college we called it something else, but I can't say that here. Um, because it, it doesn't feel good. But but this is what the psalmist is doing, and I love it. He says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. I'm going to make known your faithfulness. He's got four verses of, of this stuff. And then he, he's going to really lay it on thick because he wants to get to the good stuff. Now, this is a long Psalm, but essentially from verses 5 to 18, he just starts talking about the good things of God. That, that God is uh, wonderful, that nothing compares with God, that he's greater than all the beings of heaven, that he's strong, that he's faithful, that his name is known. And then in verse 19 to 37, he starts, and you could feel it coming. And I'm going to read a few of those verses. After he worships God in verse 5 to 18, in verse 19, you could, you could feel him start to have the angst, He says, of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one, to David, and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. So God has exalted David up. I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil, and I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm shall also strengthen him. So he's still saying, God, you promised all this stuff to David. You are going to lift him up. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have felt not lifted up in life Uh, sometimes life knocks us down sometimes life doesn't seem to go as we plan there is often this idea of christianity that if you come to jesus everything in life gets better instantly and i think we've dispelled that myth at least here in this chapel body um, that if you come to jesus life does not always go well If you come to jesus it is not a miracle cure for everything that you have your cancer will not necessarily go away it can go away but it may not necessarily your marriage will not necessarily get better it can get better but it's not this guarantee we don't have magical fountains of pixie dust that fall on you when you walk through the doors if your marriage is a train wreck don't just walk through the doors do something when you walk out of the doors don't walk through the doors Pray that the God of the universe will do something and then walk out and keep being your angry self. Walk out and say, if I need God and have God, then God can do something through me and my spouse today or through me and my children today or through me and my work today. We, we need to stop just coming to God as a miraculous fixer. We need to come to God like, like this person does, Ethan. He worships God. He sings God's praise, and then he starts reminding God of His promises. God, You lifted up David. God, You are the one who is t- His strength. God, You are the one who will have Your hand on His on the sea, and You'll be guiding everything. God, You are the Father, the God, and the Rock of Salvation. That's verse twenty-six. I think we have a we have a little bit of a disservice. Um, part of I love the Bible. But if you go through the Bible at a certain speed, you miss certain things. If you go through the Bible at whirlwind speed, you get certain things. If you just sat down and listened to the Bible, um, it takes you approximately 56 to 58 hours, depending on which audio Bible you're using. So if you have a one-hour commute to work, let's say you uh, work, live in Fishhawk and you work at McDill, how long is that commute? 40 minutes. So 40 minutes a day, I need a math person here, 56 hours divided by 40 minutes no, I'm not going to do that to you guys. I just saw somebody in the front row like try to sneak out a calculator on their phone. Nope, not. Uh, let's just say within a few months you could read the whole Bible. I mean, I'm, I'm not that bad at math. I'm pretty sure that's around that time. And just listen to it. One, one of the things you're going to see if you go through the whole Bible, first of all, it's going to feel fast. It's a book that's written over thousands of years of history is going to go by in the blink of an eye. But you're going to see something that God's promises to his people he always comes through, and rarely does he ever come through in a way that we expect. Rarely, uh, it's the it's the trust fall that's just a little bit farther. You know, there's the trust fall where the person is scared that you'll injure yourself. So there's one trust fall. Can I get a volunteer? I need someone who's. Come on, you're you're smaller. I don't want like I don't want Jesse to volunteer. Uh, Jesse, come volunteer. I got this. I can lift Vikings. Okay, so here's two trust falls. Um, So there's trust fall number one. This is me being scared that Jared will hurt himself. He's already got a brain tumor, so I don't want him to hit his head. So I would say, okay, cross your arms, close your eyes, trust fall. See, now that, that's not amusing, right? Okay, close your eyes, cross your arms, trust fall. Okay, okay, one more time. Close your eyes, cross your arms. Are you ready? You're going backwards. My voice is in front of you. Do you believe that Jesus will catch you? No, we're not going to do that. Okay, sit down. Uh, (laughs) There is is a type of trust fall that's more amusing. Now, we want God to catch us right here. But God usually doesn't catch us until we're about 0.5 inches from the ground. And that's what this psalmist is experiencing. This psalmist is saying, God, I know you're good. I know you're faithful. You've made all of these promises, all of these promises. But where are you? Now, verse 38 is where we're gonna, we we got to zoom in. Now, you can, you can read the previous part of the psalm, but like I said, that's, that's the Ethan. He's pushing the whole praise toward God, and we're going to talk about why that's important, but here's why he says all of these great things about God. This is, this is the kid asking the dad for the Christmas gift he wants when the kid has been rotten, but he wants to butter up the dad. Because here's the hard part. He says, verse 38, But now... You have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. Basically, he's saying, you are, you're not filling your promises This guy's getting crushed. David's house is in ruins. And in this story of history, David was a great king. He built up a kingdom. He gave it to Solomon. But the promises to David still existed. You will have a great nation. You'll have descendants. There'll There'll be my faithfulness and my blessing will cover you. And then after Solomon, some kids were born and they started fighting. And then God sent Babylon in. Babylon crushed up Israel, took Israel, took Judah and separated the kingdom. And this psalmist is saying, God, you promised to make this throne last forever. It didn't even last three generations. Everything is in ruins. Your promises don't seem to be making sense. God, verse 41, all who pass by, plunder him, plunder David's promises that he was supposed to have from God. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. People looked on Israel and said, well, look what they were. Now look what they are. You have exalted the hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and a cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. How long, O oh Lord, will you hide yourself? Forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol, from the power of the place of the dead? This is just desperation. Feeling betrayed, not understanding. But but I love what he does here. And we need to learn from this. When we have a sense that God is far off, we have two inclinations. Some people just ignore God and turn from him. And some people run to God. Ethan is the running to God person. He says, I don't know what's going on. I look around and nothing makes sense anymore, but I'm going to run to God. I'm going to sing to God. I'm going to pray to God. Now, I can tell you just from my own experience, just as anecdotally, I've done both. I've run from God when I felt like life was unraveling, and I've run to God. And obviously, I'm standing here as a pastor, so guess, guess which one tended to work for me? Running to God. Because running from God, God in his gracious fatherly love has often picked me up and drug me back to the other side. It's that time when you're trying to avoid thinking about something and you can't do it. It's that time when you get in the first like rip-roaring fight with your spouse. And you get in your car and you're like, I'm just going to go for a drive. And you turn on the radio. And what's the first song to come on because God loves you? your wedding dance song right oh that's a coincidence really because then i turn the station i'm like forget this country station i'm going to my other sad country station and it's the good stuff by kenny chesney about the guy who gets in a fight and goes to a bartender and the bartender gives him milk instead of whiskey and says go back to the good stuff which is your wife who burns her spaghetti or whatever that song says saddest song ever this was my first fight in marriage this is me saying forget this god I'm going to drive. I'm going to clear my mind. This isn't what I wanted today. And God says, that's not your choice or your plan. Boom. Wedding dance song. You're going to go to the other sad country station? Boom. The good stuff. Go home, stupid. So I didn't go to the bar with the corner lights. I just went home. It, it's so hard, though, because it's, it's a default for many of us. They have the psychological principles, the fight or flighters, right? How many of you guys are fighters? You get in an argument. Okay, you you may not, hopefully you're not hitting people. But the fighters are these people. You get in an argument. Something's coming up. uh, Some threat is coming in. And the fighters are like, I'm going to finish this. Or a modern day sort of like happy, feely, psych version is, we're going to talk this out. But there are also flighters. Fight. Flighters. Flighters are like, leave me alone. I'm going away. And it's hilarious to me when two of these people collide, whether in the workplace or the home or wherever, because the fighters like sit down, we're going to talk about it. And the fighters are like, I can't talk right now. I don't have anything to say. And the fighters say, what are you thinking about? And the fighters say, I don't have any thoughts. And the fighters say, you have to have thoughts. Everyone has got thoughts. I have no thoughts. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. I don't know. It's because the fighters need time to think and process. That's why they fly. They fly away. They get perspective. They come back. The fighters, they don't care. They, they've been punched in the mouth. They want to punch something else in the mouth. Now, this is metaphorical. If, you're, if you punch people, you need counseling. You can come talk to me, okay? Um, but but this guy, Ethan, he's telling us. He, now, I think he is a he's a fighter. David was a fighter. We know he killed the giant. Ethan's a fighter, but he's a word fighter. He's saying, God, you're so good, but you're not here. I don't get it. What do I do? Everything that you promised to David is not coming true. And then all of a sudden, you see these little glimmers that point to Jesus, which is what we're all about at the chapel. We're all about Jesus. So he says, and and this is what I love, he starts talking about how short my time is. Remember, in verse 47, how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of men. Basically saying, our life is here, gone. Boom, boom. Doesn't matter if you're 16, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. Life is short. I've never met somebody who felt like life was long. The oldest people that I've sat with on their bedside, they said it just went by in the blink of an eye. Now, a lot of them were ready to pass, but they they still said it, you know. And this is the thing that I still receive quite a bit. You know, I remember when I was your age like it was yesterday. I think it was yesterday. And I look at them and I think, I hope that's not my tomorrow. I hope that I can pause and worship and think about the promises of God. And here's here's where it gets good. Here's what I think he, Ethan, didn't know. He says, when he's talking about how short our life is, he says this question. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol, from the power of the dead? Now, at this point in history, Jesus had not yet come in. At this point in history, there was a promise to David that one day someone would come sit on your throne who would not see death forever, who would conquer sin and death. One day. Up to this point, everyone died, stayed dead. I like how Ethan's asking this question, and and he doesn't know what's coming. He doesn't understand the Messiah, and the reason I know that is because the majority of the Jewish people, when Jesus came, they missed the boat. So he asks this question, who can do this, God? Everyone's going to die. Nobody can beat death. Who can beat death, God? And God's up in heaven, like, hm, ha, 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 me. And he's prepping the world. Now, there's an amazing movie, a cinematic masterpiece. I'm talking the cream of the crop, pull at your heartstrings, change your life forever. It's called The Prince of Egypt. If you've never seen The Prince of Egypt, it's uh, the remake of the Ten Commandments, Moses' story. And there's a song in this story. You can look it up on YouTube. If not, go watch the movie. and It's an amazing movie. If you don't cry when Moses talks to God in the burning bush, you don't have a heart. Um, but there's this song that says, look at your life through heaven's eyes. Ethan, us, we tend to look at our life through our eyes because they're our eyes. It's the perspective we have. It's... It's your eye vision. It's your height. Someone told me recently on on Saturday at the Band of Brothers, they said, well, you're tall. I said, I don't feel tall. I've always been this height since I've been a grown-up. They say, what's it like to be tall? And I say the same thing I always say. It means I'm really good at miniature golf, and I spot male pattern baldness before you do. And and they'll stand up on a thing, and sometimes I think it's cute. Uh, people stand up on a chair and they say, "Look, I'm your height." I think, yeah, it's weird. I mean, imagine if I went all you guys like this, "Hey, look, I'm your height. Hey, look, I'm your height. I mean, I do do that because if you're like four, eleven to five foot, I'm the same height as you on my knees, and I think that's hilarious, but um, but but, it, but it's a perspective switch. We get a perspective switch when different things in life happen you one day are healthy uh, feeling healthy and normal the next day you go to the doctor you get a call you've got cancer what just happened perspective switch all of a sudden things that were important to you are much less important to you or or you you are living your life you go to a carnival and then somebody passes away that you know what happens in this moment perspective switch okay wait somebody that's my age just passed away tragic accident we're uh, reading a, a psalm today that talks about the brevity of human life, all of a sudden you're going to question things. Now here's th- one of the sad conditions, or not sad, difficult conditions of human condition, is, is that we do this. Our perspective changes, but we're always drawn back to our original perspective. Have you noticed that? It, it creeps. It just creeps in. We don't have to think about it. We all have a default perspective, which is why it's important to plant ourselves in something that changes our perspective. Our default perspective is shaped by our upbringing, is shaped by our genetics, is shaped by the things that we watch, the things that we listen to, the people that we're around. They form and shape our perspective. Now, if you are not reading a book about God's promises and what he has in store for you, the way that he loves you, the way that he's going to protect you and be around you, even when life doesn't make sense, then your perspective will gravitate toward your default. And And some of us, we have the default happy perspective. Some of us are the default poets. We're just depressed and sad all the time. Some of us are the default type A, drive, 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 go, go, go. Some of us are default lazy. Whatever you are, there's a default. Don't waste the moments of perspective shift when it happens. Instead, I want you to remember the promises of God. Now, if you don't know these promises, you can... Text me, my numbers in Bolton, or email me, I'll email you the list of the promises that I have here just in my notes today. These are promises that you can cling to. When you're in the pit, and in this psalm I love because Psalm eighty eight, the psalm we, we didn't do, he's in a pit. The psalm the the writer of eighty eight. And I like that they put eighty eight right before eighty nine, because this writer just cries out, God, my life is in a pit. He's basically throwing a pit e party, it's where the name comes from, pity party. Um and then Psalm eighty nine gives us the way out of the pit. Worship God, trust his promises, but the book is a terrible ending. The psalm is a terrible ending, and this ends book three of the psalms. If you don't know, there's, there's five books in the psalms, and they correlate with the five books of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So this ends the Leviticus correlating book of the psalms. So after the psalmist complains, it says, remember, verse 50, Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked, and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. And here's how he ends it. Blessed be the name of the Lord forever. Amen and amen. God, you're not even here. Everyone's mocking David and Solomon, your coming Messiah. God, what is going on? Blessed be the name of the Lord forever and ever. I mean, that's a great way to end a prayer. If you're mad at God, If you're banging your steering wheel, crying to your pillow, God, this doesn't make sense. Why aren't you showing up? I don't feel like you're for me. I don't feel like you're even here. God, you seem so far. Ah, Blessed be the name of the Lord God forever and ever. And you may think, that's not going to work. Try it once. At the end of your most desperate moment in prayer, at the end of you crying out anger to God, sadness to God, feeling of dejection and desperation I want you to just end it with a one note of worship and it may come out of your mouth like a sour patch kid but I want you to just push it out because there's this perspective thing look at your life through heaven's eyes um, I, I, I like perspective shifts so I'm always throwing myself into trying to do a different perspectives I think that's why I'm drawn to science fiction shows, because I like to see different perspectives. I think that's why I love walking through cemeteries to pray, because it gives me a perspective. I think in this day and age, um, we're we're so hesitant to to shake off and look at ourselves from another person's perspective. We look at ourselves through our own perspective. But from my perspective, some things are pretty amazing. From my perspective, the promises of God just in this room today are quite incredible. Within our, chapel family, uh, within our chapel family, there are people who are coming to know Jesus who never knew Jesus before. I love that. Within our chapel family, there are marriages that were once thought to be hopeless, and now there is hope. I love that. Within our chapel family, there are people who were addicted and literally had lost everything, and now their life has been mended back together. Now, I know from experience that when you're in the dark pit, it's just that. It's a dark pit. I know from experience that when death is around you, when loss is around you, when it's impeding on your vision, it can be difficult to navigate life. It can be difficult to navigate the simple things like making breakfast. It can be difficult to be kind or want to come out of your room. Jesus' reminder for us is, is what I love. And I, and this really was me praying last night because I, I, I was on social media, and I was getting messages from a couple of people about this man that passed away, so I began praying, because I care about you guys, and I knew that many of you were very saddened, and I I just kept coming back to this verse, which I think is so important for the eternal 30,000 foot perspective. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, and many of you know this, are not two sparrows, birds, Sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father now this is you can turn off if you if you've never been affected by death yet but if you have been affected by death that's one of the what seems to be the biggest breaches we just don't understand and when tragic death happens that tragic death somebody that's not dying of old age of natural causes um, we call those tragedies children I've, i've presided over funerals of children And young people, and the question, why did it happen? God, where were you? God, where were you when this happened? Why would you let something like this happen? This verse, it just blows me away. Are not two sparrows, two teeny birds. Sold for a penny, so they're they're cheap. They're less expensive than you. You're expensive. You want to know how much you cost? All the blood of Jesus. I think God cares about you. He purchased you at a high price. But not one sparrow, there's two, not one, falls to the ground. What does it say? Apart from your father. There is a um, there's a truth and a promise we can cling to here. God cares about us more than sparrows. And God will not let one sparrow fall apart from him being there. Um, I like the way the NIV puts it. Outside of your father's care. God cares and is present when sparrows fall. It doesn't say that sparrows will never fall. It says that sparrows will fall. When the most difficult times of life crash upon us, it doesn't mean that God is not there. God is there. Nothing is apart from our Father. Nothing falls outside of his care for his children. Now this is, for me... I hope it becomes for you something you can hold on to. No matter what it is in your life, if you're like the psalmist in 89, you just feel rejected, abandoned by God, cling on to the promises. And what I do is I say the promises back to God. I just say, God, you said this in your word. Please, I need this in my word. In my family, we have a very um, strong value on the word. And I I really just stole this from um, the movie Hook with Robin Williams where he says, my word is my bond. Robin Williams says that. And Jack gets so mad at his dad because Peter, before he realized who he was, spoiler alert, in the movie Hook, Peter Panning is Peter Pan. <laughs> if you didn't see it, you're at a loss. He tells his son, I'm going to be at your next baseball game. And then what happens? Kid plays baseball. He's looking out. Where's my dad? Not there. I'll be at the next one, son. And it has this scene where jack plays the baseball game it's coming down to the wire he's waiting for his dad to be there he's looking around for the approval and love of a father and then it cuts after the game's over and peter walks up when the field's empty and everyone's gone he got time wrong or something So i, I tell my kids all the time my yes is yes and my no is no you don't have to ask if i promise anything if i say yes i'm going to do it if i say no i'm not going to do it I don't need to say I swear to this, I promise this. I just say yes. And then I tell him, hold me accountable for that. If I tell you, yes, we are going out to ice cream, you tell me. And there have been times where I've said something in the middle of the day and I I didn't remember it, bad dad mode. And my son will remind me, 8.30 at night, Daddy, you said we would get ice cream. And he'll say this word for word, a man's word is his bond. And the reason I taught him to say that is because in the movie Hook. dad lied so many times and they were on an airplane and he says jack i'll be there a man's word is his bond and the sun explodes and he says junk bond which is funny if you're an adult because it's like economics and promise breaking (laughs) so so i have this trained into my son to tell to me because it triggers in me a dad that wants to be honest and follow through now there are times where um i have had to not follow through like when my wife is in the er my Jack says, you said a man's word is bond. I'm like, your mother's dying. Put him back down. She's feeling better, by the way. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, but but that, the, the, the principle behind it is that I will keep my word. My word is just the word of one human being. God's word is eternal. It lasts through your problems. It goes over your problems. It wraps up your problems. It was there before your problems started. It will be there after your problems end. His hand will be guiding because not one Sparrow falls apart from your father Or outside of his care. So please remember that as you go through difficult times Please don't just say Well life is what it is I'm not going to try to change Start with a desperate prayer That is honest And worships God Tells God how you're feeling And then says blessed be the Lord forever and ever amen And then once you've prayed that prayer What that has done functionally in your mind and heart what that's done psychologically is that it's begun to wipe your slate clean and said i can't do this god i don't understand what's going on now we can fight against it or we can say god this doesn't make sense god i feel out of control god i don't get this can you do something what that does is it wipes the slate clean so that now for the first time you can begin to imprint a new perspective heaven's perspective can put something on there that is from God, something that is true, something that holds weightiness, something that will be there for you in the middle of the storm. I pray that you would learn to do that as Ethan did in Psalm 89. Let's pray. Father, you are are good even when it feels like you're far. You're in control even when life feels out of control. God, you are for us even when it feels like you are against us. God, you are for restoration and healing and love even when we feel broken unfinished and uncared for god i pray that this week we would all declare your promises over our problems lord i pray that this week we would focus on your promises instead of being consumed with our problems and god this week i pray for those who are hit heavily with the loss Chris, in this community, that you would help those who love you bring light and kindness, that we wouldn't bombard the mother or the children with cliches, but we would simply speak truth and kindness to them. Lord, I pray for the wife and the three kids, that you would reach your hand, your hand of comfort into the midst of their pain. Lord, we can't imagine, some of us maybe can't imagine, I pray, God, that you would make us ambassadors of your grace and kindness so that when these things happen, people know that there is a God who promises and his promises hold true even when they seem far off.